What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and welcome to episode 33.5 of Behind the Daw with Daddy and Initiate, where we usually interview artists and music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level. But as you notice, this is a 0.5 episode. And on these episodes, we take the audio from our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite artists to dissect their songs in real time, and we put it in a podcast form so you can partake of it and listen to it on the go and get that perfect combination of emotional and technical knowledge. And the best part of all of this is that it's free forever, no matter what. Our only request is that if you enjoy this podcast and it's really helping you along your musical journey, go ahead and check out the Behind the Daw Patreon and consider supporting the channel for just $1 a month. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or you just want to talk, you can contact me at Wyatt at BehindTheDaw.net. All right, Daw Nation, let's get into it. we have both of them now what is this why do we have both of them? brendan came in produced the song wrote the song got the, the the vocalist on here and everything and then nick came in and he makes and mastered it now that might be a little controversial to the people that are watching we got some purists out there who say no way you can't send it off to a mixing and mastering engineer into that brendan has something to say so brendan for example with zed i don't listen to a zed song and say man i i am so happy that anton wrote recorded produced mixed mastered all of this i get so much joy just because anton did it all by himself that's why i enjoy this song it's kind of silly when you think of it like that but that's literally how people treat it it's like if someone didn't do the whole thing themselves they like like they diss on that person but we enjoy music because it sounds good and it gives us an experience. And so I believe that we're living in the age of collaboration and we're living in the age of technology and we're able to make really cool music by just working with multiple people. And so if you're new and you may not have the experience of six years or more with mixing and mastering, you can still have an awesome song if you do what you can and then send it off to someone who can maybe pick up the slack where you can. So while I may not be the best at mixing and mastering, I can still make a really cool song by just sending it off to somebody who does know what they're doing. I've been listening to a lot of the podcast Entrepreneurs on Fire, and on it, he had a guy that come on that said, you don't, you know, in order to start your dream, whether it's a business or, you know, you being a producer or whatever, you don't have to get it perfect. You just have to get it started. And so I think it's bullcrap that we, as a producer community, think that you have to be perfect or at least acceptable at certain areas before you can come in. You know I mean? Why can't you just be really good at one thing and then be learning the things you're not good at, but sending it out to people who are really good at it so you can start putting stuff out and growing that way. So at the end of the day, that is the whole concept of being a producer, right? It's creating stuff, putting it out, and then ever progressing. So why wait until you've had, like you said, Brendan, like six to seven years of experience? Yeah, I think also something to be said too is like, don't ever use that as an excuse to stop learning because when it comes down to trying to get an idea out of your head, no one can do it better than you. And I think that's really important to remember is you can't always rely on other people to make something sound the way you want to. So make sure you're taking the time to learn for yourself the things you're outsourcing. Because first of all, it's important to understand so you can explain to somebody else. And second of all, you're just gonna get a better product the farther along you can bring it. And so that's just something to remember too, is while you know you can use other resources, make sure you're not being lazy and that you're taking the time to learn as you're working with other people. Especially asking, asking questions. I feel like 90% of my education has been at, in music has been from not necessarily even like YouTube tutorials or no offense, multiplier. I love your YouTube. <laughs> um, no, but it, it's from asking people who know better than me to explain how to do things. And so 
I think it's important when you are working with people to make sure you, you learn from them and, and their experience because it's invaluable to learn from another person. If you're starting a business, it's, I mean, you can do, say, the accounting yourself. And certainly if you're, say, in the first few months of business and maybe you've got quite a simple business, you can do the accounts yourself. But it's perfectly fine to outsource that one once you get to a certain stage. Um, but at the same time, it's also, just as Brendan was saying, you have to know the basics to almost know how to communicate with the person you're outsourcing it to. So you, you need to know the basics of accounting before you can start to even talk in a productive way with an, with an accountant. And the same applies to someone who's doing a mixing or mastering. Like if you're not aware of the basic concepts of loudness or at least the broad concepts behind why you're mastering. It's just really hard to have a constructive dialogue with the mastering engineer. So yeah, per- perfectly all to outsource, obviously, but yeah, it's important to know some of the basic ideas behind it. And one more thought too, along with that multiplier that I think is really important is we, and Wyatt and I have talked about this before, and this may be more behind the DAW thing, but you really got to view your production education as like going to college. It takes four years to get a normal degree. Plus if you want to get in a master's, it takes much longer. And, and sometimes you got to realize, you know, it's going to take you some time to get good. But, you know, we, how many stories have we heard of people creating successful businesses during college, right? Even though they're still learning and they may not have their, their degree yet, they may not have learned all of the pieces. Some people have still created multi-billion dollar companies by working while they're in college. And so you don't have to think, oh, I have to wait until I'm seven years old in production to make anything and release it. Because the truth is, is you know, we've there's some artists, and I don't want to name any names because I don't want to, but some of the world's biggest artists have uh, released some pretty simplistic produced songs, and then you can tell they've worked with a team and then blown up. And it's just, you know, you can tell, oh, they probably didn't do that all by themselves, but they were still able to get a lot of success and then kind of grow into that success as they got older. So basically, what I'm trying to say is. There's never, it's never too early to start releasing music and start doing something with your talents. You don't have to be a starving artist the entire time that you're learning. That's just something I think that's important to understand too. That was really, really good. All right. Should we get into it? Get into it though? Let's do it. Yeah. Finally, before we get started, I want to remind everyone about the In the Dawn, the Behind the Dawn Patreon. It is going freaking amazing. We've more than doubled our patrons in the last week alone. There's tons of benefits, including a private community, private production lessons, uh, putting your songs out on our weekly email, you coming on the show, there's all kinds of stuff. And so I highly encourage you to go check that out because that is the lifeblood of this channel and how we keep going. And in fact, this is amazing because we have our very first patron ever I am as the guest today. It's the very first one. He was the one who started it. So thank you, Brendan. I mean, Daddy. Just a quick plug. So they're super responsive. They will respond to your questions as a patron. I mean, I literally had this idea for a reward and they did it within like 24 hours. It was super cool, cool sample pack. So, I mean, there's, I've gotten so much value out of being a patron. So you'll love it too. How did this particular track start off? Did you start off with the music and then do the vocals or was it more of an idea for a track with the lyrics and then building the song around that? Yeah, great question. So I always, almost always start with piano. So I was actually at my grandma's house on her old old school stand-up piano. And I just had this idea for a song about wandering. And so I sat down on, on her piano bench on a Sunday during family dinner when everyone was in the other room. And I just started writing this song. And it just kind of like came the chords and stuff like that. So once I had gotten like the, the structure and the verses and choruses out, I came home and I recorded it into my DAW. And I was just a piano track. That's kind of how I started with this. And then I started building around it with the more, I start with the more organic instruments, so like the guitar, the bass, and then I started adding in some more of the, electro, the electronic uh, elements. I feel like that that approach that you took, where like you you 
hammered out the the melodic part of it first. I found so much success in doing that because there's been times where I started with like the sound design first and then moved on to the melodic stuff. And I had found success in that. But I would say like 80% of the time, if I can flesh out a melodic idea first, it's just like, it feels like everything flows after that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, especially with like a very feely song. I feel like you're going to get a little bit more emotion starting with the melodic content rather than the sonic content just because, I mean, I guess they're both important, but for me... I really get more feels out of working with melodies first and like lyrics and stuff like that. It tends to be how I advise people to start tracks like this because it's it's almost like the more you do production, the more you, you get an ear for the finer details of mixing and sound design, the more you can almost get too distracted by the mixing and the sound design to even get some good chords and chord, chord progressions going. Like I find I'm I'm almost fixing resonances that are problems before I'm writing the chord progression sometimes. The very beginning lead guitar-ish sound. What is that? Because that was beautiful. So it's a guitar. Um, ah! so let me let me open it up. So Plot freaking twist. So here it is. So it's... Oh, that bitch crying. Okay, so I we recorded a guitar and I want to say it was a Les Paul. Gold, beautiful Les Paul. Um, and we just plugged it directly into my Duet Apogee. And then we threw some Valhalla Shimmer on it which is by far one of my favorite plugins. If you haven't messed with uh, Shimmer or Valhalla Room, those are basically oh, yeah. my go-to reverbs. They just make everything sound so epic and big. Um, and then I, we EQ'd out some of the lows, boosted some of the frequencies and the highs. And then we took Serum and we just kind of, we threw a little bit of a uh, down sample on it actually to make it a little grittier. Not a lot, but just a little. And that's something I often do is I like to downsample things to kind of just add a little bit of grit and different type of sound flanger on there and some phaser and then we uh just have it auto filtered in basically and so yeah that's that's just real guitar and uh so my buddy steel south duty he's in uh scarlet and steel if you haven't checked them out they're awesome they do like deep house video game music but uh he helped me record that so we wrote it together and then he recorded that how did you approach the arrangement because it's it's one of the best arrangements I've heard in a while, to be honest, but it's almost, it's only, only because I focus on kind of the structure of tracks so much that I really noticed it. It kind of strikes me as an arrangement that flows really well, but at the same time, it doesn't jump out as being especially weird. Um, it just kind of kind of works, really. So how do you approach that side of things? And I think this has been a big strength for me. So when I started in music, I actually started uh, working with bands. So I would go and see like rock bands or pop bands, and I would help them out. And that's what I would help. So actually... Uh, I started this song almost a year ago, and originally I was considering writing it for a band that I had been working with, and um, so I actually structured it as like a band rock pop song, and so I, I kind of listened to some songs that were more along in that genre. Kind of has almost like a rock or like pop kind of vibe, you know what I mean? And when it starts, and that's kind of how I structured it out which I think actually ended up becoming a strength because it had that kind of popular song structure, which led into making it into a dope, you know, 128 drop house song, progressive house song. It, I really wrote it as as more of a pop song rather than like a EDM song for first. I find sometimes in electronic music, it's almost like we build it in these like blocks for DJs at the, at the expense of just listening to it generally. Yeah, I think so. yeah I totally. And I think that's another strength that came from playing live is because when a band plays live, it's very freeform. It's not like DJs where you have to tempo match and everything, which makes it, well, obviously it's going to make my music a little harder for people to DJ to because it doesn't have the intro kick and the outro kick. But 
but at the same time, it does give a more uh, a different kind of spin and feel onto kind of more of the progressive house feel. You know? Tell me about your your vocal recording process. Awesome. So as always, I always record my vocals on iPhone to start. So these are my vocals that I recorded. What is life? What is love? I'm obviously not is the ending vocalist, but I uh, wrote these songs the same day, or these lyrics the same day I was recording on the piano. And then I took these lyrics and I basically showed it to this guy, this guy Devin Barris, and he's amazing. He's the lead vocalist in a band called Sunsleep. If you guys haven't checked them out, they're amazing. They're touring right now. I want to say they're on tour with Dance, Gavin, and Dance. I love like the emo, like rock scene. Like I grew up on emo music. My first concert was Asking Alexandria. Like I went to, I did remember Devil Wars Prada, like all those bands, post-hardcore emo. So uh, when I had the chance to work with somebody who was kind of in that scene, I was so stoked to have that kind of vibe on top of this song. And, uh, and so anyways, I sent this to him. And uh, I basically was like, hey, dude, you want to work on this? He's like, yeah. I was like, what if I come over tonight? He's like, let's do it. So I went over at like 10 p.m. and we just tracked at his house. And uh, he ended up not making too many changes, which was pretty cool because, I mean, obviously I'm not the best vocalist, but I – I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty solid writer, but we, we just went there and kind of banged it out. He made, he added his own flair to it. And you'll hear, he's a freaking amazing vocalist. But. What is life? What is love? So, and then we kind of went on and did some harmony. And that was a lot of his magic. Like, he's definitely the master of harmonies. And the cool thing was, and is he actually processed a lot of the vocals himself. And that's actually something I like to do when I'm working with vocalists is if they're very if they're an experienced vocalist, I usually like to say, hey, why don't you send me the raw files of what we recorded? And then I actually want you to process your vocals like you'd like to hear them. And so that way I can get a raw you know, version if I need to really change it to fit the song. But uh, I feel like it actually makes vocalists a little more comfortable if they can work with their own, if they can send me what they want their voice to sound like so that I can kind of mold it around there, if that makes sense. It helps the vocalist be a little more happy with the final project. So actually, I, I believe most of this because I sent him to you processed, didn't I? Uh, didn't I, Nick? You did. Like, I really didn't have to do much to him. It was more and more tonality changes. But the vocals, when you sent them to me, I was like, wow, okay, these are already good. He knows what he's doing. I think processing the vocal with the with the vocalist or having them work on it is a, re- is a really big key to getting the vocalist happy with the way their, their vocals sound on the track. So we did a lot of it together. Did you do any auto-tune or anything on the vocals, or were they all pretty much good, good from the recording? It was Logic he recorded in, but he used, like, Waves tune, I think, is what it was. And I, I want to, I was, I was looking at it, but he did a really good job. I want to, I want to look into that. I want to say that's what it was, but yeah, it's light tuning. I mean, we use light tuning, but he, you know, he's a freaking amazing vocalist. So it wasn't anything crazy. And I'm always a little more on the side of light. I love a little bit of human error. I love being able to, to hear some incongruencies. And I think that also goes along with just my love for more aggressive, more raw type of, of music and vocals. And so I think this one, his type of vocals, there is a little bit of, you know, human error and it's not perfect, but I really, really like that. I think it just really fits the vibe of the song. Talk to me about your uh, your sound design in the drop. Yeah, so this is actually probably the, the part where I feel like Nick really helped. So my drop actually sounds a little different than the, the drop on the final final version. Basically, I had come up with a drop and I'll show it to you guys. And Nick basically just threw an arpeggiator on it and double timed it really. So I'll show you the original. This is what I did. 
yeah, that was my original drop. And, and it sounds good. After talking and working with Nick, we just decided to make it a little bit more. It, there's a lot going on. And so we kind of he kind of condensed it and threw like the arpeggiator on there. And I think, did you use a different synth or did you use the synths that I sent you? I actually used the ones that you sent me, but I added a synth, a sauce sack from, that I used with Serum because I just felt I needed to fill in a little bit more of the high end, just a little bit, just to keep the energy from the build. But I really didn't, that was it. I didn't have to do much to that. That was pretty much golden there. I can show you the the saw that I used, the main one is this one right here, and it's probably going to fry my CPU. Let me, let me, let me play it, and then I'll show it to you. So, so I basically layered three saws, right? You got the lower, and then I've got like the mid, and then I've got or the high, and then the mid. And so what I did is I want to say that they're all the same preset. It'll tell me right here. Yeah, they are. So I found a preset on Splice or for Serum that I like. And I, I like to, um, again, I like to basically not reinvent the wheel when it comes to synths all the time. I like to find something I like and then kind of tweak with it. That's frying my CPU. But I basically um, did stuff like mess with the, with the cutoff. I added some effects, but... Um, basically, it's it's a, a preset that I found that I really liked, and then I just messed with the rhythm of of the of the MIDI and kind of where things came in. And I think the attack on these sounds really good. I think it just sounds really cool and crisp. And that's how I made the super saw the super saws there. How how did you know when the song was complete from a, a songwriting perspective? I'm all about emotion in track in in the songs. I try to like really convey a certain type of emotion when I'm writing a song. And so when I when I feel like I can uh, write and a whole song and listen to the whole thing and nothing breaks that emotion that I'm trying to convey, that's when I feel like it's finished. And so if I if I'm like writing a song and producing it and then there's a part that's like, "Oh, that, you know, that kind of is not finished." I will continue working on it. And I think it was once I finally got that drop down and some of the drum fills and the second verse, I feel like once I had really completed those, I just knew like, okay, this is as far as I'm going to take it. And then I want to see what Nick can do with it mixing wise. But yeah, I think it's important to for any producer to listen all the way through your song with kind of fresh ears and just think, is there any part of the song that breaks the emotion that I'm trying to convey with it? Listen to the song and look for points where it may break out and how you can continue to bring that feeling in or switch it up if you want the feeling to switch up during it, if that makes sense. Something I really liked about this song is that we did use a ton of organic elements. And so we also used bass, like we used a ton of guitar. So like um, this buildup and everything is guitar. And then we used like more of it, like strumming back in the background. That's kind of the higher up. I want to say, let me see if I can find the bass. Yeah, yeah. So we just used like a ton of ba of real organic instruments. So this was a real, I think it was a Fender Jazzmaster. And I would uh, personally recommend to any producer to use as many organic feeling instruments as you can in a song. It just adds a level of realness. So anyways, that's just something that I, I, I thought I would share that I, I really liked about the song is that it just had so much so many organic elements that I feel really brought it to life. Why, you remember that one time, was it AU5 that blasted our ears out? <laughs> I was the one that told you guys. To <laughs> you were the one? <laughs> yeah. But that it, was like, you? That was me. I was. It was like so embarrassed in my. I was like in my office, just watching the stream, and I was like, "Yeah, well, if you put that to like the low latency or whatever draft mode, it should just like 
take down the CPU. Excision would have been proud. Excision would have loved that one for sure. What is your overall mixing process? You know what I mean? Like, how do you strategically go about mixing not only this song, but any song in general? So, the first thing I would think about is like, what are the most important elements of this track? So, for that, it's definitely going to be some really good drums. Vocals are like the main thing because they sound amazing. So we wanted to accentuate those. The moves I would make for mixing is like, how do I get everything to sound like one cohesive thing rather than have everything kind of just sound like, oh, these sound good. But it's like you need to look at everything as like a collective dish of sorts. (laughs) In that sort of sense, the thing, the first thing I'd normally start with, that would be the drums for sure. Just because like I want to get them to sound like pretty, really nice and everything. And then... Once they sound nice and punchy, I can usually go with, as you can see, I've grouped everything here in sound design. So you got your synths, plucks, live instruments I kept separate just because I know I wanted to, those to be like not as digital sounding. So the drums that we, uh, the, the kick I used was uh, Kick 2 by Sonic Academy. Huge advocate of Kick 2 because it's a drum synthesizer. And so I like it better than just using a sample because you can actually mess with everything. The transients, how long it is without having to cut any audio and having any weird, like weird stuff. So huge fan of kick two. And that's what I feel like made this kick so punchy and like awesome. So first thing I would do for drums. So I like to really organize my stuff properly. So when Brendan sent me all the stems, he did a really good job. Like everything was all organized. So I pretty much just drag it in to Ableton right off the bat. And uh, I put everything into each group. So I have my sort of template here. So this is how I usually start off my mix template. So I've got my drums, like anything that has to do with drums goes in there. Lows is typically like your sub or like low mids if there's like a Reese in there or something like that. And then sound design pretty much is like your mid basses, leads, synths, plucks, any of that kind of thing. And after that, five instruments, because this one seemed to have some piano and guitar and stuff like that. Um, vocals, everything to do with vocals is there. And then Atmos is essentially like some pads, like atmospherics, right? So impacts, effects, all that sort of thing. And then I will actually process these, like this is the group. So I'll process them each individually. And then you, this is like, here's another plug. Slate Digital has all these analog emulated plugins and they are an absolute game changer. You can get some good sounding mixes out of stock plugins for sure, like in, in any DAW, but these plugins have been like a godsend. And the fact is that they are insanely cheap you can pretty much get the everything bundled for 15 bucks a month, I think it is. Any plugins that they add during the year, they just get added to the bundle. So you don't have to pay anything extra for that. Or you could just pay annually and you can even save a little bit more money on that too. All their stuff is like analog emulations of old analog gear that you probably find in a professional studio. And some people will probably tell you that like it's not the same or whatever. It's still digital and everything. And it's like, sure, but... It's getting dang close. You're now. really, you're really close. So it's like you're in close. You're nitpicking at that point. So that like I absolutely love it. Steven Slade and the whole team that they got there, absolute geniuses. Once I got all the drums groups, you got your kick, snare, claps, cymbals here. I got a couple of the drum loops, and that was it for that. And then in terms of how I send them to my reverbs for a drum verb, I don't put any reverb on the kick and snare because I want those two to be the most upfront and present in the mix, of course, for dance music. From then on, I group all of that into another group, which I love Ableton for that because that was one of the greatest things they added with Live 10, for sure. I had pretty much everything leveled in all my 
smaller groups where I wanted them. And then, but I just wanted to get some more pop out of that. So that's where I got a Neutron Transient Shaper for drums from Isotope. And it's a multiband transient shaper. Essentially, you got your attack, you got your uh, sustain. You can either make it a more tight kind of kick or you can give it some sustain in that low end. Same thing for each band here. It goes into three bands. The, that was really able to like give me a lot of punch in that low end for that kick. And then I wanted to have some like really kind of snappy high end transients for it, but I didn't want those all the high end to take up a lot of the like the room in the mix. So that's why I like brought these down here. And it does it in a smooth way. It's not like it's, it's really transparent. Hence the uh, transparent shaper name right here. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. For these, I bounced it to audio already. But I did the same thing on these, uh, this overdriven vocal that you have here. This is a... Because you, you cranked it, right? So it gives it that good tonality and everything. But the problem that was going on with that is that when you overdrive something like that, it's really hard to get those like ear piercing kind of frequencies out of there. So what I had was this that I ended up using on the entire vocal. It's a plugin called Soothe from Oak Sound. I think that's how you say it. Hopefully I'm not botching it. But what it does is it actually analyzes the signal that you're putting through it, the audio, and it will take out the resonant frequencies that are like wherever you set your bands. And so for this, let's, I had it on the entire vocal. So here you can see that the audio, it's taking out all of these bands here, wherever you set it. So, in that sense, I'll just put it on the entire vocal. And that was something that really even helped smooth out the vocals a little bit. And if anything ever got a little too harsh, this plugin is basically taking out those frequencies. That is amazing. This delta button, yeah, you can select the depth of how much you want it. So I, I put it like right in a spot where I thought the vocals sat in the mix rather than being like a little too upfront or a little too back. And you can select the sharpness and selectivity of these resonant frequencies that you want to be taken out. The cool part I like about this with this plugin is that when you hit Delta, it actually shows you exactly what it's taking out. And it, in a cool way. So, but here's the cool part about that is that, so I use that on these overdriven vocals because they were just really harsh. What it did is that I took I just took them all out, I cranked the depth up, and it just seemed to, for some reason, like kill the sound. Like it just, it made it go static. It just, it was flat, didn't sound good at all. And so I flicked it into Delta, and all of a sudden I had all of the good parts of that overdriven vocal. So it, it kind of works in an opposite, it worked in like an opposite way. Like what it thought was the bad signals was the good signals? Was the good stuff. So and it ended up sounding super sick in the mix. <laughs> Yeah, so it basically is extracting all the good parts of the sound. So that like insanely versatile plugin, like I, it was worth. Oh man, I don't know how much it is. I think it's almost like two hundred and fifty something pounds or whatever it is. So you can hear it, like it has the tonality, but it doesn't kill your ears. And so when it's layered in with like your background vocals, that like the background vocals just widen everything out. And then with the lead vocal. crazy with the how good like how I was obsessed with the plugin for a little bit during this session. Yeah. <laughs> so I used it on a lot of stuff. It's really good on low CPU like if you want to just use it on a few things it's good but you can actually oversample up to four and then it has a resolution that goes to ultra and then 
I actually put it on the master, but like That's I use crazy. it very, very, very subtly on the master. And then when I'm ready to bounce it out to audio, I just crank it. I put it times four ultra, like back to the drums. I got all the drums sounding exactly the way I wanted them. Usually like on the individual channels, I'll just pretty much do some EQ. Here's just a little bit of automation to make sure the kick's not like punching throughout the entire uh, build here. You can just see the high pass filter going there. Right here. I can only hear it. Of course, I had the vocals soloed. <laughs> but you get the idea. Simple automation. Yeah. Each thing stays out of the way of another thing. Your claps that you sent me, I pretty much just wanted some of the high-frequency content in those because all everything below where I pretty much high-passed it, like you got your kicks there, you've got cymbals and other drum loops that I wanted take up that frequency range. So it kind of sounds thin when you have them sounding together, like playing in solo. But once you put them with the uh, the rest of the drums and everything, it just like they start to like you don't notice. So in that sense, that's sort of, that's a lot of the things that I like to do when I'm mixing is thinking like what kind of frequency range does this instrument actually need to allocate? Like, is there something you can get away with? Like, you can sometimes overdo the cutting a little bit. Only if it's going to serve a like higher purpose, like if it's going to make the drums or like other things come out more in the mix that you would like to accentuate. But I think a really good practice is to produce the song and then just go through and cut everything you possibly can without losing any like integrity to the sound that you have. It's a really good practice to, to just go through and cut off everything you don't need. And it's just going to make your song. It's like, it, it's super weird when you first start. It's like, I don't want to do that. Like, you know, I want all these cool sounds in there. But if you can start to learn to, to cut and the infamous less is more phrase, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's something that you learn basically as you're going along. It's just cut everything you don't need. And and that's something I actually learned from Nick a, a little bit is he, he when he said, he's like, dude, holy cow, like you sent like 90 stems. And I was <laughs> like, well, I just wanted everything to be perfect. He's like, man, you could do all this in like way less stems. Like, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, ah, you're right. Make it yeah. more simple. It's a lot of my new stuff that I've worked on since then. I've tried to like simplify it and I've gotten, I feel even a better product in some ways. I just, yeah. Well, it does. Right. Because you, a, you're not like, you don't have a bunch of things overlapping each other and it kind of takes away from the clarity of what you really want to accentuate. So like if you have a crap ton of hi-hats and symbols all stashed together, you're just going to get like a wash. So I, I think it was something that uh, Austin Collins at U5 said on your stream was how do you get the most impact out of something with the least amount, I guess, like things that like to use. So like, how do you get like the tightest sounding, nicest sounding drums with like an impact out of those things with like the least amount of effort, essentially. So because I get into that groove too when I'm producing my own tracks is that, oh, this sounds great, this sample sounds cool, and you want to overlap everything and kind of layer, and then you like leave for a day and you come back and you're like, oh man, like this does, it doesn't sound how I thought it sounded. And then you realize like you start cutting things away and, and all the clarity of your like drums, snares, and hi-hats all start to come out. And it's easier on, I think, process your CPU is not processing a million stems. So like overall, like if you can just get away with as little as possible and get the most impact out of that, that's when you're sailing in, in yeah, my totally. And I think that like 
going uh, going along the lines of that is it's imp- that's why sound design is important learning sound design is because while you may have a clap that sounds good it may not fit in the mix unless you eq it right or unless you add the right type of plugin on it to make it sound where it should be and, and so it's really important to learn your learn serum to learn the types of things that you're working in the sampler and you know learning like kick two and other things like that so that you can get the sounds that you want and learn how to make them like that. Because otherwise you try to compensate by just adding more and more and more when that may not be the answer. It may be right there, the frequency just may need to be boosted. Or maybe you need to cut some of the lower frequencies and boost the mid frequency, you know what I mean? So it's important to learn sound design. And that's something you can't just grab off of Splice and throw into your DAW and make a sound. That's You have to take time to learn how to make the sounds sound the way they need to sound for the song to be professional. To add on, and as a selfless plug for the knowing sound design AU5 that we've been talking about and mm-hmm. I just are we're creating a course right now for how to do insane sound design with nothing but Ableton devices and it is freaking insane just watching uh, that guy work like when he came on in the whip which is by the way where I actually met Nick and so that's kind of cool so Nick and I actually connected through in the whip I remember just him like Austin just working with operator and just like making his drums out of there, like was blowing my mind. Like he would just make yeah, like dude. a kick and then a snap and then a snare and then his clap. And I'm just like, dude, how, how are you doing this? So I can't wait to see your course. Especially yeah. if you really like that, that like operator kick, creating drums out of operator. Dude, he goes, we go off for an hour about that. And he shows how to do everything in the slightest detail. And then oh, we move on to like, he's like, check out this multiband frequency shifter mixed with simple delay. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, what the freak, man? Like, this is freaking amazing. So, <laughs> like, we want you guys involved with all of the, the branches of this. So, we want you guys listening to Behind the Daw, watching In the Daw, and then coming and hanging out in the whip. You know, who knows? You may be the next person to hop on the channel. Become part of the exclusive group where you can support, you know, what, what they're doing here and be able to get involved and meet us and talk to us. And we want you to be involved with us. And so best ways to do that is to come on in the whip, you know, you know, comment in the comments here. We're happy to talk with you, chat with you if you have questions. And yeah, who knows, you may be the next person to be, be on an episode hanging out with us. Bring it back to here. That was a lot of plugs, but hopefully <laughs> there's a lot of value in those plugs for you guys. But Multiplier, what questions do you have for the mix, man? When people send you stems to mix, what's the biggest mistake you see in those stems? Brendan sends you stems. What's the worst? When Brendan sends you stems. <laughs> I think, you know, what the biggest problem is just the amount of time that I had to spend deleting everything Brendan sent me. Uh, it depends because sometimes I, like, I would just like it to be grouped technically how I would like to mix them. So like if they group everything like their atmos together, so pads, effects, group a lot of that things, a lot of that together, lead vocals, group that together. It's things that can technically be together that don't need to be individually processed. That would it's like it's just a lot of a time saver at that point because I don't need to bring in like like you said, like 90 stem files when it's like you have one reverse white noise sweep in the entire thing, you know? So it's like, if there's things that can just be combined and, and whatnot, that then that's just great because it saves me a lot of time. And also loading the entire project after that, you're loading like gigs of audio files. And even though it's just silence, it's a pain. Sometimes they'll actually be 
people they did just like here here's the stem and then they've sent me like too little and it's like hey i actually need you to send me like if i'm doing mixing i, I would like to have more stems obviously but if it's like a master then you can get away with just a couple of stems here and there because you're doing like the broad strokes throughout the entire thing something also to really like take into account when you're doing it and you're collaborating with other people is that it makes it a lot easier if you just communicate that like how would you like the stems okay you can do it this way perfect that solves a lot of your headaches right there too as well and then if you know how to stem things out properly or there's because you've been just doing it practice and practice then it saves everybody a lot of time saves everybody a lot of headaches and uh, that would be just a really good way to go about it let's say they have a, a vocal that they compress it themselves and then send over the compressed version or the uncompressed or, or maybe even both yeah i would say both because if they're particularly happy with the way they've done it sometimes i'll <laughs> i'll just i'll roll with that and be like okay this is like how the Technically, the client wants it. That'll be good. But then I'll, uh, I'll always suggest like, hey, maybe you could do it this way next time. Or the, or like, do you mind if I do it my way? Usually the answer is yes, of course. But I usually tend to like getting raw files. The way I get my clientele is from previous work. And so I'll be like, yeah, I, like I'll just mix. I mixed most of this. So they have a sense of trust that I know what I'm doing, which is always great. So uh, raw files for me is great. If they have something that they're just completely like happy about and they don't want to really change anything, that saves me work. I'm good with either. Both is great. If they're strapped for time, I'll just work with what they give me. If your memory, your mixing memory, all the tips, tricks, and knowledge that you have about mixing and mastering was going to be deleted tonight, but you had the choice to keep one trick, one tip, to keep that one piece of knowledge, what would be that knowledge that you be, or what would be that tip or trick that you'd be like, I want to hold on to that over anything? It's like question and a half. Yeah, that's, that's why. Collect all and save. Yeah, no kidding. I think it would be like something that you would have, like a, it's a very basic one. The best, like one of the best ways to start, set yourself up for a very successful, like sounding mix is a uh, volume, like gain staging. For a lot of rock tracks, a lot of rock mix engineers and stuff like that, they get a really solid mix, like right out the gate, just from volume matching. That's what I like tend to do a lot of the time. Like if before I do any EQ, any compression, any other sort of effects like that, I will spend like a solid hour or so if I need more, just to get the volume balance right. If you don't have your volume balance right, then you're gonna be boosting EQ where you typically didn't need to in the first place. And all you could have done was bring something up like one or two dB. And just eventually that leads to more problems down the road when you do eventually do more compression or saturation, stuff like that. So right off the bat, volume mix. Once you got a really tight volume mix, then you're well on your way to just having a, a better final product. Totally. Do you mix through a limiter or treat limiting and mastering as a whole separate process? Initially, I don't mix through a limiter. And then once I have the volume mix, I actually go into ozone here. I have a general sort of process that I go. So I'll cut a few things and then I will put a limiter on. And then I find because of the way that it squashes the signal, I'll notice that maybe my effects section here might be a little too loud and I'll bring that down a few dB like I'm I guess I did here. And then I'll do like another sort of volume mix right then and there to try and get my levels perfect the, the way I want them. And then uh, I will actually mix with a limiter on through the, the rest of that mix. Just because uh, if you take the limiter off, I, I find that uh, it changes the tonality of even the mix that you're working on in general. 
So I like to just keep it on, see if I'm peaking too much here and my in and outs, the left metering and stuff like that. Just because of purely of that. So I like to make sure a limiter. I used, when I first started out, I didn't do that at all. And then I would go do my mastering. I'd be like, oh, well, it doesn't really sound how it did before. And I like didn't know what I was doing wrong. And eventually it did a nice, that's it. I think I saw a tutorial. It might have even been one of yours. I don't know. I was like, okay, so you can mix through a limiter. Like, it's not not a bad option there. You can do that. So some people are still against it, but for me, it works. Final most important question. Brandon knows this question. Brandon, do you want to ask yourself the final question? Did I have a good time? Did we have a good time? Oh, uh, uh, can I phone a friend? <laughs> yeah, you can use your lifeline if you'd like to. Oh, okay. Oh, he didn't answer. Dang I had it. a great. <laughs> me too it's, awesome. cool to, it's cool to be on here for one of my own songs thank you so much for listening to this episode of behind the Daw. we really hope you enjoyed it did you enjoy the questions that we asked or would you have liked to hear different ones if you're listening to this on itunes or any other podcast related app make sure to subscribe and leave a review and if you're listening to this on soundcloud make sure to like comment and follow and we'll see you next time on behind the Daw.